afternoon, everyone, or good morning, wherever you're listening from. If you're in your car, if you're at work, uh, if you're at home, thank you for listening to Talk for Freedom. This is episode 19, and we've got Ali back with us. We're so excited for all the uh, knowledge, uh, education, experience that she has been able to share with us um, and the truth behind uh, some of the uh, things that are going on with our society, with legislation. We're going to have her back for this episode, and she's going to share a little bit more um, about you know, the, what we still have to do, um, to bring an end to human trafficking. So we're going to kick it off. Go ahead, Chuck. So Allie, we're going to, I want to ask you some questions today about the things that I call the three E's education and economics and environment. So what needs to happen educationally to, to fight human trafficking? Well, I think that first educating, um, our communities and our families, our kids, um, about the social norms, right? So, so many individuals, um, are so caught up in running here and there and taking their kids to the soccer practice. And, and by the time they get home and cook dinner, I mean, they, they're not having any FaceTime with their kids, right? Their kids are just on their computers or doing their homework. And I'm not saying that those aren't great parents and they aren't providing, you know, the resources and the love that they need to their kids, but this is where vulnerabilities are built right so and so we need to create um, you know some type of programming so we can educate our families on how to help these kids navigate those social norms right and those cultural norms that we're sending out but it's also educating ourselves about what those cultural norms mean right so if you look at all the Disney characters and all the the girls and women in Disney they're all depending on a man right for their happiness like you know sleeping beauty couldn't wake up without a kiss uh, you know and all these different messages these cultural norms that we're sending our kids what it means to be a boy what it means to be a girl what it means to be a man or a woman I mean these are the type of educational tools that we need right I know in the last episode we talked about talking you know we talked about um, male mass I mean uh, toxic masculinity right and the the norms that we're sending to our boys that could set them up to be not only exploited because if you are um, not only exploitive but also they could become buyers or traffickers as well um, but also educating law enforcement right um, we're sending a lot of you know great educational tools into our churches and stuff but we're not actually going into the communities that are most impacted right so I mean we go to all these you know wonderful churches and we educate the the communities that have money but are we taking that same information in the communities that are heavily impacted by trafficking right um, and, and social economic stuff like that so training our court systems our judges our legislators on what it is our law enforcement on trauma um and, and what fuels that stuff right and and medical professionals mm -hmm. yes, and, and medical basically professionals. the entire community yes because mm -hmm. one of the things also is to, to even go further is someone without an education nowadays in today's society is is going to earn less with someone with a, an appropriate education or with a, a higher level education right so that education can actually create economic opportunity. Right. And as we talked about in a previous episode, someone who's a survivor of exploitation may have a criminal history that excludes them from getting that higher education. Right. And yeah, no, and I totally agree with you on that because so for me, um, I actually had gone to college before I got trafficked. Um, and so when I got out, I thought, well, because I'd gotten that message from my trafficker for so long, you're not, you're not shit, you're not going to be anything. So I was going to go for, you know, a higher paying vocational training. I was, and, and there are high paying vocational training, right? But you can't get, even if it's not, even if college 
isn't for you and you get to choose if you know university and a, and a bachelor's degree is for you maybe you want to go into like cat scans or mris or some type of vocational occupational type of thing but even those are limited right with financial aid even welding school you need financial aid barber school you need financial aid i mean all of these are limited um you know by a criminal history barrier right right and so that in turn then even goes one step further the child who hasn't been victimized yet, but may come from a so mm-hmm. lower social economic environment, they don't have the same educational opportunities exactly. as a child from a middle-class neighborhood. Right, and just look at our school systems, right? So we have all the impoverished areas, they, they get all the leftover books, textbooks, and stuff like that. So it's it's the, the schools that have the highest paying tax dollars that are going into those schools, and they get the new textbooks and all that, you know, all the computers and, and state-of-the-art stuff, while these impoverished schools get, get the leftovers. So we have the young man, because like we talked about in a previous episode, he comes he comes from an, an environment where he didn't go to the best school because that's what his family could afford. Right. And then his education was primarily on the streets where he's taught that women can be objectified. Right. And in his own home, he's taught it, it, his mother could be objectified. Right. And he's taught that the almighty dollar is what really rules the game and that that's what's that's the be all end all for everything well and the sad part is for them it is because guess what maybe maybe they do have like three brothers or two brothers or whatever that might be and their mom is literally working three jobs she's never home because she can't pay bills and feed them without working right she might not even have a car right i mean i i sat there in fifth ward and i watched single moms walking from the bus after working her second job to sleep four hours to go to her third job and she's walking with groceries off the bus and she's got three little babies at home and no man right because he's in prison so i mean these are the things so even though that mom might love her kids and and sacrifices everything for those boys they have no one at home to watch them and care for them you know or give them the formal education of this is how a man should treat a woman. Right. And this is how this is who a woman really is. And, right. and give them an opportunity to just sit down and help do homework with them. Even if she wanted to, she can't. Right. Because she's at work. And, <laughs> and that transitions so, into our uh, the next sure. thing of economics. I mean, mm-hmm. economically, our society is greatly divided, and that divide is getting bigger. Right. So let's keep that thought. I, I have a quick question in regards to the education piece. So just trying to make it as simple as possible when we talk about educating parents and you know parents educating their children at home can we simplify that a little bit and talk about what do you mean educate are you talking about educating them on human trafficking are you talking about educating them like chuck said about how to treat a man or woman what do you what do you mean by that well, I mean, I think all those need to be included, right? Every single one of them. It's not just like one component. This is this paints a picture, right? But it's, I mean, it's also about teaching them online safety, right? So, I mean, I every single kid that has been in my group, of course, they're coming from different backgrounds, and and that's part of the problem. And that's the next conversation on economics is every single one of them have been lured offline. Right. So, I mean, not only have they been exploited in the streets as a runaway, but all these different I mean, they made a list of all the dating apps and all these different apps that not Backpage, not Craigslist apps. Yep. 
dating apps that they're on and being lured off of. Yep. So that's right? a component that 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 adds an even more dangerous component. We talk about society and how people think and all that, but then we throw in the technology that we have today and how social media is mm-hmm. growing and it's going to continue to grow and there's all these crazy things. You go back to apps. I mean, I've heard of like a game. I, I think there was a game where um, kids can create an avatar and they can go into rooms and they mm-hmm. can go and do this, build this and make food and all that stuff. Well, there's pedophiles waiting in a room just to talk to them. There sure yeah. are waiting, waiting. Yeah. And it's about and it's about spending time with your kids, right? It yep. does, it's not about how much money you have. I mean, yeah, that helps, right? Mm-hmm. But it's about actually having an opportunity to sit down and, and spend time and pay attention to your kids. Like if I'm sitting in a an exam room or in a, you know, sitting somewhere, you know, waiting for to go get a table at a restaurant, you see these kids like jumping up and down wanting their parents' attention and their parents are on their phone. Mm-hmm. So it's a know? simple conversation. I mean, there, we're missing opportunities to spend time with kids and that creates vulnerabilities. They might not never been sexually abused, they might never been physically abused, but if they're not getting the love at home that they need, they're, they're gonna, gonna go somewhere, somewhere else. else. Yep. And if they're not getting the appropriate supervision, they're not getting that love, they're gonna go and do exactly what they see their parents doing, right? and they're gonna get on that phone. Right. And, and the traffickers and the exploiters and the pedophiles are all waiting for them. Oh, they are. They and are. they're everywhere on there. I mean, they're on apps that were made specifically for children. Right. And they're on social networks that were made specifically for certain groups, not having anything to do with sex. Mm-hmm. But they're there and they're waiting. And we also need to talk about the harms of pornography, right? Hmm. So these kids actually have an opportunity to access porn. On their mobile phones. Right? Mm-hmm. Just in a instant while you're not paying attention to that i mean that could yeah. be more harmful and caustic than anything right you got your nine-year-old son just you think he's just playing on his phone playing a game mm. and he's looking at porn and if he's not doing it on his phone he's doing it on his friend's phone yes All right this is crazy y'all All right and it's hardcore porn yeah mm-hmm. we are normalizing this for our kids right. normalizing and, sexuality like and, this and, is they're learning about sex instead of from their parents or instead of in a classroom they're learning about sex by watching porn and that's not realistic no no it's not it's sure not it's aggressive it's violent it's mm-hmm. degrading it's objectifying because it that's what sells sure and it always goes for shock value so it gets more and more shocking and that you have a child who's very impressionable impressionable looking at it going Oh, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what right. sex is. Yeah. No, that's not. That's not sex. No. And and it's framing what consensual sex is, right? Right. So that's part of the problem, right? So if, yeah. if I have if you have to pay me to have sex with me, that means I really don't want to have sex with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whether I have a trafficker or not, that is not consensual sex. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not. Yeah. Right. And the thing that people most want in life is not sex, they want love. Exactly. Even the person looking mm-hmm. to go buy it is looking yeah. for love in all the wrong places. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So parents, we're not saying you're you're bad parents. What we are saying is that um, in today's society, in today's world, there are a number of different places that your kids can get into that will get them into trouble. Um, and so what you need to do is you need to be more vigilant. You need to be um, closer to your kids more than ever. You need to talk to them more than ever. You need to know what they're doing more than ever. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do on your phone. You can track them. You can do all this stuff. But sometimes it's just 
being close to them. Pay attention. Right? Yep. Pay attention to your kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because you make yourself available. So just in case someone has taken advantage of them, if they feel as though they can talk to you because you've done that, you've invested that time and effort throughout their mm-hmm. life, they're more likely to talk to you. You're safe. Right. Right? You're safe. And that can help right. get them the help. That will help get them the help they need earlier right. instead of far, far later. Right. And, and a great example of this, and it's at the further end of the spectrum, is I had a girl in one of my groups in the detention center that was in custody. She got released to her dad, which she had ran from for whatever those reasons were. And she just turned 18. And on Christmas Day, she she Facebook messaged me. I'm in a hotel room getting high. And I'm about to turn a trick. She was 12? I mean, no, she just turned 18. Okay, but she, 18. Was, she was 17 in my group mm-hmm. in a child detention center, right? Yeah. And that's a whole different conversation when they're phasing into the adult system. And it's just ill-equipped for that. But the point is she felt, even though she didn't want my help, but she felt safe reaching out to me. But she didn't her father. You know? Yeah, you built that relationship with her. So... Right. Not that I'm blaming him, but no. we, you know what I mean? And he's done everything that he could yep. in his in his ability to help in the the best he can. But that's, you know, and that's what happens. So when a kid's mad at mom for whatever reason or dad and they put online, I hate my mom or whatever that is. Not that y'all aren't going to argue or fight, but you also have to be in those spaces and create that time, in, you know, that are healthy as well. Yeah. Because if you're not, someone else will be. Someone else will be. And they're just waiting. Right. They're waiting. So we go back to now the economic mm-hmm. part of it. What is that? So, and I, and I find this really interesting, and, or do you want to kick it off? No, go ahead. Yeah. So, and I, I really didn't get it, and because I, not that I did, I came from a family that was, you know, upper middle class, um, but as a runaway, you know, I saw a lot of poverty and disparity just because I was a runaway and had no resources. So I was practicing in survival sex. And then when I got deep in my addiction and I got deep in the gang, right, I was in the hood for 20 years just missing in action. But it didn't really all come together for me until I did, um, I, I went to Africa. So I went to Africa and I see, you know, coffee plant growing on a tree and like just phenomenal fertility of the land and resources and yet i see these people making two dollars a day right and they're drinking they're abusing their you know domestic violence is it's skyrocket hiv is skyrocketing i've never been to a third world country right um and then i come back home to fifth ward i'm like wow this is not much different this oppression i mean maybe at a different scale but this is absolute oppression right so this entire community is being oppressed, right? Uh, none of them have jobs. None of the businesses in their community are owned by African-American people, right? They're all on the streets, right? And those that do have jobs are not good jobs, right? Um, and it's just, it's just wow, mind-blowing for me. Right, because they, they lack the economic opportunities. Right, exactly. So because they lack an economic opportunity, they're going to survive somehow. You got to eat. Right. And so criminality becomes a actual survival tool. Right. And we're criminalizing poverty. Right. And and one thing you kept, you've mentioned a few times, survival sex. Mm-hmm. Can you explain what survival sex is? Right. And so um, for me, as a runaway, when I ran away, I had no food. 
no clothes. I'm 12, 11, 12 years old on the streets of Houston at 2 a.m. No food, no clothes, no place to sleep, uh, no cigarettes. Um, all I had was my body and the clothes on my back. So I didn't, but because I had been sexually abused before, sex was easy for me, right? Sex was easy to give up because I learned at a very young age that sex was a commodity. I was trained to believe that. Um, and so when I had individuals ask me, hey, do you need a place to sleep tonight? I mean, I got a 30-year-old man picking me up off the street saying, what's wrong? Why are you out here? Do you need, you want to come home with me? Uh, and then, you know, telling me all the things that I wanted to hear. You're so pretty, you know, and all those things. Yet he's feeding me and meeting my most basic needs. I felt an obligation, right? To have sex with this person. Because one, I felt like he cared about me and he was my boyfriend. But, um... But that's what it is, right? You're meeting your most basic needs, food, shelter, water, clothes, place to bathe. I mean, you're meeting all those most basic basic needs by exchanging something of value, right? Uh, your body. And so individuals might do might be forced to go in a commercial sex industry because they can't afford their bills with that job that pays $10 an hour and $9 an hour. And they got two babies at home. That's survival sex, right? And that's the very basic core of lack of economic opportunity. Right. Is that you learn that if you have no economic opportunities, that sex can be a commodity. And people are there to buy it. Right. That's where the problem lies in. And I've heard plenty of stories from survivors of, you know, the first time they've exchanged sex for a commodity was something simple as a ride. Right. Or a burger. Or a burger. Mm-hmm. And and we've had donors that have provided meal cards that we put into our care kits that we hand out to kids in the streets. And the understanding is, is that that one meal means that's one less time they have to sleep with someone for something to eat. Exactly. And I can remember, especially because I ran away a lot. That's what I did, especially as a kid being out on those streets in Houston is no joke. Right. On the streets of Houston as an 11 year old and a 12 year old and someone, you know, had the kindness to buy me a burger or, you know, some Kentucky Fried, whatever it was, they bought me something. It's like, wow. I mean, I still remember that, right? Because I didn't have to exchange my body that one time, one more time, right? That's why when I see homeless people, I don't care if you're gonna go get high with it or you're gonna go buy crack or get a beer. Mm -hmm. That's one last time you have to be sitting out here. Yeah, I'll give you some money, you know, what I have. That's one last time you have to beg. Yeah, all right. So if we provide economic opportunities from the earlier days, you know, earlier when we have that single mom that's working three jobs and she's got three kids at home and she's just struggling to make ends meet, if we provide her economic opportunities, we can actually break that chain of the need for the children also. Right. But it's not just about the economic opportunities, right? Because so many of them have been modeled abuse and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're just doing what they've been modeled right so not now you have lack of economic opportunity but you also have you know generational factors that are are leading into this and and it's more than just that right so so when you have cps because well she works three jobs she's stressed out and she doesn't know how to de-stress so she's gonna just drink right because that's what her mom did that's what her dad did and now she becomes you know abusive as well and whatever that way that looks like and then CPS is called and their kids are taking rather than helping her get better and be present in her kid's life. Right. And, and make those changes. Now you now you're just repeating the cycle. Right. 
Right. And then when she goes to court, she's sitting in a courtroom with a judge saying, why did you do this? Right. And the message being your kids got taken away because you're a bad mom and therefore right. you are bad. Right. Right. And we wonder why she crashes. Right. And that that was her only tool, right? Was getting getting drunk, right? Like my only coping skills were mutilating myself, running away and getting high. That's all I had in my bag. I can tell you that for years as a state investigator working those child abuse cases and working those exploitation cases, I used to tell parents all the time, when you come to court, you're going to get drug tested. Yeah. Know that when you come to court, we have a lab at the courthouse. We're right. going to take you down and we're going to drug test you. Don't do drugs. Right. They can't help themselves. And they would show up without fail over and over again. Mm -hmm. And we'd tell them, okay, we're going to the drug test and you'd see their head drop and they know they're going to be positive and you come back out and you say, I told you not to use. Why did you it. use last night? And yeah. then over and over again, I just couldn't help it. Right. I mean, just like someone that has cancer, right? You just stop having cancer. Just stop. You can't, right? It's a disease, right? That has to be treated, right? right? You can't just say to someone, okay, well, just get rid of your cancer. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You're on your own, bud. Be strong enough to overcome this. No, it's a disease, right? So without the education and economic opportunities, they're stuck in this continuous cycle where it just keeps going down and down and down. And we have their children learning this. And then Do we it. have the predators out there just waiting to pounce in right. and offer that burger for an exchange for sex. And that's right. the entryway into right. human trafficking. And not to mention, I mean, especially with, uh, you know, substance abuse and the opioid epidemic, we have, I mean, I was on the streets with, and I was a heroin addict, I was on the streets with a mother that was being prostituted, and she had her daughter out there with her. I've had, because I sold drugs before I was a prostitute, um, I actually had people, you know, saw people that wanted to trade their kids for dope, you mm -hmm. know, it's like, wow, you know. And I've actually worked cases like that where I've had survivors tell me that the first time that they turned a trick was because their mother told them, you need to go out here and you need to go do this so you can get mommy her stuff. Right. And that's the thing. Like I had a girl in my group. Uh, she was 14 um, in, in a child detention center. And she disclosed to me that her mom trafficked her, you know, for whatever reason. And it, not, not necessarily even for dope. Right. I mean, it just just to make ends meet, right? The lights are out or whatever it is, right? You can do this. Um, and yet you've got this mother coming to group therapy with this kid. Mm -hmm. Is that safe? I don't know. You know what I mean? I mean, what are yeah. we doing here? Right. These are broken systems. How, how do you break that cycle? Go ahead, Chuck. Well, <laughs> we talked about it. Economic opportunities, yeah. but also on top of economic opportunities, yeah. it's educational opportunities. I mean, right. these moms and dads need to learn positive, what, what's positive? I mean, you right. can't, doing that to your child is wrong, but that goes deeper. That's because it's usually been done to them. Exactly. Hurt people, hurt people. Hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And then providing them the opportunity to change their life. Right. So if someone then has the economic opportunities and educational opportunities, and yet right. they still continue to do criminal acts, Right. now you've got someone that needs to go and get away from society, and that's what that's where incarceration is. That's right. getting someone out of society that's harmful to the society. Right. But I think on a lot of nonviolent um, offenses, like, you know, lower drug charges and things like that, 
um, behavioral health, like, you know, stealing and all these different things. I mean, regardless of the economic opportunity, I feel like, or mental health issues, you know, I mean, these, all these are, are fueled by trauma, not all, but a large majority of them, whether you come from money or not. I mean, even though I came from a middle class, upper class, middle class family, my abuse led to my behavioral health issues. My abuse led to my substance abuse issues. And even if I had a, a million dollar, you know, maybe I came from an extremely affluent family. Mm-hmm that abuse would have still put me on that same trajectory, right? Right. Um, And so those are the types of things that we need to look at, right? Right, treatment, treating the traumas, providing opportunities. Exactly. Because as you said, that's what nonviolent offenders, with violent offenders that continue on in that path, those are the ones, ones. they need to be incarcerated. Right, exactly. And and we need to stop looking at prison as an opportunity because we have a, we tend to sell a bill to people that, that prisons are there for some people to get their lives in order. Well, state jail system, at least in Texas, was built for that, right? It was right. supposed to be built as an alternative to incarceration in in this in the prison system, right, with rehabilitative services. Right. And yet, in your experience, has it turned out that way? No, and that's the, it's a broken, broken system. I've yet to get any type of individualized services or any services within the state jail system that meant anything. And what we find is people have a high rate of recidivism. The more often mm-hmm. they're arrested, the higher rate of recidivism, the more often they're coming back to jail until they're eventually institutionalized. Mm-hmm. And like we already talked about the youth in foster care. Right. And how such a high percentage of them end up in adult detention into eventually state jail and then into the prison system. Well, and the worst part about it, too, is that we at 17, we start criminalizing youth mm-hmm. as an adults. Right. And so their brains just aren't capable of that. So even if you put so even if you offer a diversion program for a young adult at that age and put them on probation and they're 17, but they're on felony probation, you're trying to. You know, the whole part about about um, probation or any type of diversion is it's an alternative to incarceration, right? So, but that system's not equipped to deal with that age group, right? It's the time's too extensive. The probation system's just torn up, right? Um, I mean, the, the time that we're on probation does not equal the crime. So why would you do five years on probation when you can do six months in state jail? Why, why would you do that? right? All the fees, uh, there's no incentive. I mean, these are the things. And so, and especially with someone that has been traumatized and abused and used their whole life, coming into a system like that, even a probation system as an alternative is just a setup. Right. For failure. Right. Especially when you add all the fees and everything else. You tell right. someone you just got out of jail, you have nowhere to live, nowhere to go. Right. In order not to go back to jail, you have to pay all these fees. Do you want them to do that, but you won't give them a house? But you have nowhere to live. <laughs> But you got to pay all these fees. You don't have a job. You don't have economic opportunity or, or education. But you got to pay these fees. Right. And we get surprised when they use sex as a commodity. Yeah. Or worse yet, and this is a true story, I have been in state jail um, many times. But upon release, this this is this is the kicker in Texas. So at least at least in the, in the TDC, you get a little check and you have to parole somewhere. But our state jail system does nothing. So the problem with this is you put on all that weight because you got that commissary or whatever, or maybe you were super thin because you were an addict and now you put on all this weight and you have to donate your clothes when you're taken into custody, right, in the state jail. So all they have are these barrels, right, of, of clothes, jumpsuits or whatever that you can put on. And if that's all they have and you can't fit it, they put you in a paper suit. 
a paper suit that you zip up, a paper jump, it's paper, y'all. And worse yet, they put you on a bus, a Greyhound bus, not to where you live or anything like that, to the county where you caught that charge. So you're left on the street in a paper suit with no money, no house, no food, no clothes, and you wonder why people go back to the right same thing. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the shelters are lottery system, right? All I mean, as far as I know, I haven't seen a, an emergency shelter that isn't. So you get off that bus at like 10 o'clock. Well, guess what? All those beds are taken at that shelter. Right. All those beds are taken, and maybe maybe your record is not something that they want in there. So you've got that felony record, so you can't be in there. You don't even have clothes. You're in a paper suit. Right. Yeah. What? And that's why people turn right back around as soon as they get out of jail and go back to the same thing because they're not, not set not up crazy? for success. Yeah. Right. If you have no opportunity for success, then there you are. Mm-hmm. But a lot of this, like we talked about over and over again, Allie, this goes back to the basics in the family system. If we're going to change legislatively, if we're going to change laws, we're going to change systems, that's the big picture. The small picture where things really make changes, where we right. teach children to have these ideas that you have to change the big picture, that you have to do mm-hmm. things right by human mm-hmm. goes back to the basics of the family unit. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that's what we want to talk a little bit about right now is, right. is what do we need to do in the environment mm-hmm. that we are in, our, our family units, our communities, our neighborhoods, right. to really start to get deep down into these youth and into these families and to change the system from within. Yeah, and I think that's a great question um, because it all starts in the community, right? Especially in in the lower economic um, or socioeconomical neighborhoods or the impoverished neighborhoods, um, you know, we see all these places where kids can go after school, but what about where families can walk in and access for, you know, at, at a at a sliding scale or discounted rate, some type of programming where they can, you know, get all their needs met, right? So, I mean, whether that's, you know, like a food pantry, whether it's clothes, but therapy, family therapy, meaningful family therapy, because I see these kids that are in the juvenile system and they don't want to disclose in family therapy because guess what? They report back to their probation officer and they might not get out when they want to get out, right? Or they might be taken from home. They want to go home, right? Right, the DFPS system. Yeah, they don't want to get they don't want to get taken out of their home, so they're not going to share that mom's trafficking them, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, or or just immediate, you know, um, on site, be able to get psych meds for those parents, or you know, even if that parent is addicted to drugs, be able to come in and get some type of you know, um, you know, is it Matt? What is it? Methadone. Yeah, whatever that is, keep them in, to get to a pl- place where they can start working on these issues, right? Right. So it's all about the risk and, and stabilizing that unit so that you can get to the core of those issues, right? Right, because the children learn in family structure, mom, dad, right. brothers, sisters. They learn, those are the earliest experiences of how you treat another person. Right. So mm-hmm. if they see their parents modeling inappropriate behavior. Right they're in turn going to emulate that inappropriate behavior for the most part. That's all I know. Right. It's all I know. It's what you're shown. Right. Right. And then if their environment that they're in beyond that, their community, their neighborhood is still emulating that same behavior that becomes a cultural norm. Right. And it's the culture we have to change. Exactly. And that's why you see 
that's why you see more African-Americans being arrested than you do, you know, individuals that are white because they're on the streets, right? Because that's the only place they have to do their business where you don't, uh, I guarantee you there's a ton of white people doing just as much, right? Um, oh, yeah. It's just they have bigger houses. Right, exactly. Right, because you go into these low-income neighborhoods and right. those apartments are small. Right. They're tiny. Oh, I know. I've lived in them. Uh, yeah. And they're gross. And they're gross. And they're you, not even livable. Right. And then you get someone. I've seen shelters cleaner than some of the places that are out there. Yeah. And we look at that environment and we think the message you're giving is you, you're you a have not. Mm-hmm. You're not getting anything for nice. Right. And if you want anything, you want to go live in the big house. You got to access what the people who are in the big house have. Right. And if all the only access you have is sex is a commodity. You're going to go for it. You're going to go for it. Right. Right. And we do see it in upper neighborhoods. We do see sex trafficking going on. As a matter of fact, in what I've known talking to survivors is that though that impoverished neighborhood might be where that victim comes from, that's (laughs) not where they're turning the trick. Oh, I guarantee that because you get more money in higher paying neighborhoods. Right. That those with the ability to pay for sex are are comfortable in their own neighborhoods. Right. Doing that. And that's that's where the sex is sold. Yeah. You don't do dirt in your own backyard. Right. Yeah. It's it's, but that's what's happening. I mean, they're buying sex. Your neighbor might see you. Yeah. What's the business? Yeah. But you go where the business is. But they're not going to go. I mean, for the most part, they're not going to go into the red light districts or to the impoverished neighborhoods. They're going to go to the nice hotels that are close to where they live, and that's where they're going to buy the person to have sex. Well, I mean, it's the same with robbery, right? Because, uh, you know, my trafficker asked me to do robberies, right? And so um, the thing is against, you know, individuals that were trying to purchase sex for me. But the thing is, is, you know, living in Fifth Ward, like, aren't you scared? Actually, no, I'm not scared anyone's going to break in my house here. Because you know what? We never robbed anybody in Fifth Ward because nobody has anything. Mm-hmm. Right? We're going to go over here where we know people have stuff in their house, right? Or in their car or on their person. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to break into a house in Fifth Ward. No, I'm not scared to live here, right? Because no one's coming in this house. They know mm-hmm. I have nothing, right? Right. So, Yeah. See, it just makes me think of a situation we had where we had a young woman who, uh, this years ago, we had a young woman who was being trafficked. Uh-huh. And she learned the game well. And in order to survive, she started because she became what's called a bottom. Can you explain what a bottom is? Yeah, I, I actually was a bottom. And so I, um, what a bottom means is I had the hierarchy um, in our, I guess some people like to call it a stall. Um, so we had several women, one men, uh, and they kind of rotated, but that's how gang trafficking works. They kind of float, you know, individuals between traffickers, depending on how broken they need to be. Um, but so I am the one that actually, uh, recruited them, um, controlled them, uh, to some capability. I had a lot more freedom, um, you know. Not at first, but eventually I had more freedom. I'm the one, but I'm also the one that took all the risks, right? So I scored all the drugs. I sold all the drugs, but it was supposed to be an honor, right? So I thought I would get beat less, right? Because um, I brought in women that could make us money. And so I, would, I wouldn't have to work as much, right? So they, I actually put them out there and I didn't have to work as much as long as they met my quota. Um, 
And so those are some of the things that go into that. Right. So this young lady had become a bottom because she believed that that was her only option, not to have to be out there all the time. Right. Or get beat. So she gets rescued. Rescued. I like that that tome in quotes. It's not right. really what happens. She gets recovered <laughs> yeah, I hate and, that word, and placed into a foster placement in a very affluent neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and because of the fact of what she knew what to do, now she has access to all these girls that go to this nice high school and all these girls whose moms and dads both work and the parents pay absolutely no attention to them yeah and Allie, can you guess what happened oh she's trafficking girls at school right she's recruiting them recruiting them trafficking them yeah and selling them to their own neighbors yeah i believe it i believe it yeah and that was eventually she was caught on that. And, yeah. and and let me tell you, when the officers went into this high school in an affluent part of San Antonio, wow. the parents were upset and the district actually called the police department chief and said, how dare you come into our school? Wow. That's so and see, that's another part of education, right? We need to educate all our school administrators, all our school staff, all of that, right? Not on just trauma, but the signs of this stuff, right? Right, because it could happen anywhere. It can, and to anyone. You don't have to be sexually abused to get, you know, or physically abused or a kid. I had a a woman that uh, was in my group in a safe home here, well, in Harris County. She was 60 years old, trafficked at 60 years old, lured offline from Canada, right, because she was lonely and was looking for love. That's the only reason. Mm-hmm. Wow. And when she when he paid her bus ticket to get there, boy was she surprised. Right. Yeah. So it comes back to the basics of we need to talk to our kids. Right. We need to communicate with our mm-hmm. kids. We need to model appropriate behavior for our children. Right. But in the families that don't have that, right. we need to be able to provide as a society the resources right. that they can plug in to prevent this from becoming a problem. Look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. You know, I mean, it's all there, right? Until you can meet those those fir- first three tiers of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you can't actually, um, you know, f- be fulfilled and be a successful human being. And and that's the key to how we're going to change the culture. Mm-hmm. This pimp culture or culture of toxic masculinity or culture right. of exploitation, however you want to call it. I prefer culture of exploitation because that's really what it is. It is. And... And in order to really break that chain, we have to provide these families with the opportunities to get the resources they need, right. the economic opportunities to live basic lives, right. educational opportunities to improve, to improve upon themselves so we can actually break it overall. But you also, I mean, especially, and I will share this, you also have to change the culture and the mindset of the individuals that are being oppressed, right? Right. Because for me, when I got out of the game, I didn't think I was worthy of change. I didn't think I was worthy of it, right? And it was a culture shock to come into a place where people actually cared, right? Um, and so, you know, going and having coffee at Starbucks, psh, what is this? Who does this? You know what I mean? Like, people have to learn that there's something outside of that circle uh, and that they're worthy of it too, right? So you can give them all the economic art- opportunity and tools, but if they don't believe they're worth it, they're not going to pick up those tools. Right. I've had several survivors that tell me the reason why they're in the game is because that's all that they deserve. Right. Right. And they truly believe that. Right. And when you come from 
worlds where maybe you were told you were a mistake. Or maybe Generations. Told, right, generationally. Yeah. Maybe you were told you were a mistake or you actually know you were a mistake because you were born to teenage parents that never planned to get pregnant. Right, right. And so you come with that in your head and then think about the fact that they are abused or neglected as a child. Mm-hmm. They already think something's wrong with them because I've never met an abused child mm-hmm. that didn't blame themselves. Right, but you're going to lock them up and tell them they're a victim. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, so a lot of, you know, a lot of work again that has to be done. Um, a lot of um, knowledge and education that you guys have been able to share. Ali, uh, you know, last final thoughts that you have for our audience um, on maybe just this one particular subject or everything we've talked about. You no, know, I mean for me, I think it's all about culture change, right? You know, people, how do I end human trafficking? How? Can, what can I do? There's room for everybody in this fight, and so if you, I mean, there's. Like I said, there's room for everybody in this fight. You can make a difference anywhere. I mean, if it's in prevention, go volunteer with kids that come from broken homes. You know what I mean? You don't have to actually go out and, you know, work in trafficking. I mean, that's a great way to prevent these things, right? Go spend time with kids that don't have anybody, right? Mm-hmm. This is a this is a great way to start changing those things. Go spend time with families and, and role model to that mother or that father or get them access to resources, right? I mean, these people come out into the community and try to access resources and they don't have the capacity to navigate this stuff, right? Because they've been traumatized. You know what I mean? So, I mean, these are great ways to start. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And sometimes that's as simple as, and I know it's scary, but sometimes it's as simple as walking out of your front door and walking next door to your neighbor and knocking on the door and introducing yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. It's all not, about relationships. Right. We didn't, they got trafficked through relationships and their escape is through relationships. That's right. That's powerful. That's yep. right. Yeah. Any information, um, we've been calling you Allie, but uh, Allison, uh, Franklin, anything else that you want to share, um, you know, with our audience, um, if they want to invite you to do some sort of training, uh, where can they find you? Where can they reach you? Yeah, sure. Um, they could definitely uh, email me at my um, work email, and that's Alice A. Franklin, Texas, T E X A S, C J C dot org. Great. Great. She's a great resource. So if you definitely need her to come and train, um, you know, you're, you're wor- at your work or, or you uh, are referring her to someone in your community, uh, law enforcement, anything like that, definitely reach out to her. Uh, Chuck, any final thoughts from you? No, I mean, Allie basically wrapped it up in saying that we have to change this culture. And in order to change the culture, that's going to begin at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's do what we can. Um, I think Allie said it best is we, there is a place for everyone. There is a part that everyone can play. And so let's do our part in our communities and our families and our homes um, and again, we appreciate Ali. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing um, your uh, your story. Um, thank you for being vulnerable and honest with us, and um, sharing you know the truth behind everything. And so we appreciate it, Chuck. Once again, thanks for the awesome work that you're doing. Listen to us on uh, Talk for Freedom and. Apple iTunes and Google Play. You can uh, visit Chuck Paul LLC or A21FreedomChasers.org. Uh, visit our uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter pages. We're going to be definitely sharing uh, information in regards to future podcast episodes as well. We thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Thank you.